Okay, welcome to Surveillance Report 143 Q&A, and this is probably, hopefully, going to be our last video to get caught up and get things back on time. So let's go ahead and start. First question is from Mr. Camel 999 and the question is, any recommendations for a location tracking solution for a family, like Find My or Life360, that is privacy respecting and has clients for both iOS and Android? I searched myself for a solution, and the closest I got was an app called Zood Location, which is FOSS, but only has an Android client. Yeah, normally the issue is cross-platform, and that's where you start seeing a lot of the third-party ones, because normally our recommendations come down to first-party tools, like Apple's built-in tools and then Android's built-in tools. And I know it's not ideal, but that if you're really passionate about this, I would still maybe try to go in that direction if you can, which might mean like getting some different devices so everyone's either on iOS or Android within the family, but I know that can be a difficult thing to universally apply. I'm not super familiar with anything. I think there are some self-hosted things that I've seen that people host themselves, and that way you can kind of track it yourself, but I'm not familiar with the names off the top of my head, unfortunately. But I would really try to push you towards any first-party solutions. Like Android has their own built-in family tracking tools as well as iOS, and they're both probably going to be some of the most respecting ones. And the other thing I'll say is that an option I really like, it doesn't give you real-time on-demand tracking, but you can always just send someone your location on Signal as well. So if you have a way to just one-time send someone something, that's another option too. I don't know if you know any better options. I don't. I know my first thought was like when you mentioned first party, it's not great. But if you sign into your Google account on iOS, it'll probably start tracking location history. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. My question is, what do you need this for? And that is, I mean, to be fair, that's also a legitimate question because like, are you like trying to track, uh, like, for example, uh, an elderly parent who has dementia and might just wander off? You know, because that's different than like, for example, if you trust your your kids and you say like, hey, you're you're going out on a road trip with friends. I want to make sure you stay safe. I want you to like send me your location every time you guys stop for gas, just so I know where you are in case anything happens. You know, those are two different scenarios and require different solutions. There is an option called own tracks. But again, it's what I was saying. It's it's available on iOS and Android. It's open source, but you're going to have to host this yourself, it looks like. I'm reading their booklet right now. It's not even called documentation. It's called a booklet, and it's pretty extensive. So like, if you really are committed to doing this, then you can do it yourself. Figure out how to do it with something like OwnTracks. Or personally, I would also just say you can always just get the whole family over to one platform. And that's what I mean. It depends on, because you know, if it's like tracking your kids, it's like, you know, hey, I pay for the phone, I get to pick the phone. <laughs> right. But, you know, yeah, it, it really depends on a lot of different factors. I think it might even be worth looking into, I know, is it OnStar or GM or, I, I don't know. They, like last year, a couple years ago, they had a big push where they were pushing like some location tracking app that they had. And that was their whole selling point was like I mentioned, like the parent with dementia, that was even in one of their commercials. And so it might be worth going for one of those like higher end, probably more expensive services, but they're probably going to respect your privacy a little bit more. Probably not a lot more if we're being honest, but at least it won't be like Life360 where it's like anybody with 20 bucks can buy the location data. Like at least they'll keep it relatively out of public hands. So um, yeah, as far as the privacy respecting bit, unless you're willing to self-host, there's probably not a lot of good options out there, but I, I would start by focusing on like what what your need need is, which I'm sure you know, of course, and then going from there of like what's a, a an acceptable compromise there. Sorry, I don't have a more concrete answer. 
Our next one comes from Mothman. I love that username, by the way. Also, you said you're a new patron. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Your question, are we familiar with any trustworthy private cellular providers or SIM available internationally? I use Signal for calls and messages, and I'm connected to a VPN as often as I can be. So I'm covered in all those regards, but I'd like to avoid location tracking through towers and so forth. Honestly, you're not going to avoid that, in my opinion. Like, even if you go with one of these services that like gives you an anonymous like okay living in america if i went out and bought an anonymous sim card right now that sim card is still going to be tracked and it's it's much more important if i'm trying to be anonymous i think it's more important to try to separate that data from myself like to you know not get it in my name which for the record i I understand this is not this is why we need voice over ip in other countries because it's not an option for everybody you know, I would try to not get it in my name. I would try to like turn it off before I go home. Michael Basil claims that whenever he's within five miles of his house, he turns his phone off or drops it in a Faraday bag, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't think you're going to find anybody because the best you're going to find is somebody who's basically a proxy for you. Sorry, my cat likes to yell a lot lately. The best you're going to find is somebody who's like a proxy for you. And at that point, we've covered services on surveillance report who can figure out who you are based on your location data, like based on where you go home every night and where you go to work every day and who else you go hang out with. And so I feel like there's really no winning there because even if that proxy doesn't store that location data, the cell carriers might like the cell towers might. And I don't know. I just, I hate defeatism so, so, so much, but I think this is just one of those things where as far as I know, there is no winning. Um, You just have to look at everything else you can control, like trying to get an anonymous SIM, keeping in mind like what sort of metadata you're building with your usage habits and stuff like that. You got to counter to that? Not really. I think people just need to understand when you buy a SIM card privately, the only thing you're keeping private is the information that you don't have to share with them. So you're not having to give up your social security number to a cell provider and get on a contract. It doesn't have to be tied to your real identity. They can still track things with the cell towers, but you're still preventing that first confirmed layer of information which frankly in a lot of cases is the most important for most people you know like you're more likely to be caught up in a data breach with your real information because of their security practices than some isolated incident where they're tying your cellular location location tracking together and doing all this other stuff with it and it's not to say it's not a real risk it's just for most of you i'd be more concerned with the information you're handing over And then you're already doing the rest of the stuff, avoiding SMS. So you're using end-to-end encrypted messengers like Signal, and then you're using a VPN, which is going to prevent them from seeing your web traffic as well as your communications. So um, you're doing pretty much uh, all that you can with the exception of, I guess, just registering privately if you already did that. Yeah, next question is from Frank, and it's, uh, hey, it looks like I'll be renewing my TV and home entertainment system next year. I started browsing to see what the options are. I think I'm going to go with a screen and a soundbar. Looks like it's hard to find devices that don't have cameras and microphones for voice assistance. So I'm thinking about how to block their traffic. Do you have any advice on how best to do this in a practical way? I suspect allowing them on LAN will break some features, so I expect I will need to allow internet traffic. Um, they also think a pie hole should be able to do this, but they already have a PF Sense firewall router, and my router is set up to work with NextDNS and provide those name servers to the local network with DHCP. But a device might choose to ignore that and use its own DNS settings. It would be nice to create a proper setup using those tools, but I'm open to suggestions. First off, see if you can just keep the TV offline, if that's an option or something you can do. And if you go the offline route, then you can offload the media playback to specific devices that you have more control over. So for example, I'm not even suggesting an Apple TV necessarily. I'm just saying you could completely turn off all the features 
and just keep the whole TV offline and just plug in your Apple TV and utilize the Apple TV instead. It could be a PlayStation. It could be anything, but that's one thing to consider. Otherwise, I would be looking at things like NextDNS and PFSense and everything that you already talked about. Personally, if you're able to get NextDNS set up on your router, I would just go in NextDNS and just straight up block the domains that you see are contacted, turn on your logs, maybe disconnect all your devices except your TV, and then just see the domains that are being contacted and then just block the ones that aren't required and see what how far you can get with that. This is going to vary a little bit though because some TVs and some entertainment systems will combine a lot of the telemetrics and things like that with actual domains that are required for the TV to work. So it really depends on the TV and how much they separate their domain so you can actually pick and choose what you want to be submitted granularly. I am looking at smart TVs. Okay, so first of all, when it comes to smart TVs, I recommend Roku because I did a lot of research into this a few years ago. And they're like the only ones that actually update their crap consistently. I'm also noticing, so I checked Target. Hold on, let me see. Target had a few Vizio TVs that the voice assistant is in the remote. And I know our smart TV offers that. We don't have one of those remotes, but same thing with it. Now I'm looking at uh, at TVs on Walmart and same thing. So like, dude, they're out there, but they're hard to find for sure. It seems like a lot of them are now coming with stuff, but they're still... TVs out there, from what I can tell, that don't have a camera and or microphone built into the TV. A lot of them, for the lower, the cheaper ones, they seem to be built into the microphone. So what I would do is probably buy the TV and then just go online and buy the microphone separately and make sure it's like a replacement, or not microphone, remote. Buy Buy the remote separately and make sure it's a replacement remote that doesn't have that crap in it. That said, advice on blocking stuff, I haven't really used a lot of the the next DNS kind of stuff because we use Proton VPN for streaming just to just to give us a little bit of more privacy. And if we don't use their DNS, the TV will detect DNS leaks and refuse to work. And then Henry also mentioned like alternative options. Like one of our uh we had a TV in the bedroom for a while that was just a regular dumb TV, stuck a Raspberry Pi on the back of it. Boom. It's a little slow, but like once it gets streaming, it goes with no issues. There's a lot of different ways you could approach this, I think. I would I would definitely shop a lot of different sources for the TVs and consider, you know, maybe replacing the remote. If you still can't find one, like Henry said, you could leave it offline, maybe add like a Raspberry Pi or something as a streaming device, which in my opinion is better anyways, because then you can add uBlock, you can access things like one of our TVs doesn't have Twitch on it, and my wife likes to watch her favorite streamers. Now she can watch Twitch on that TV because she has the, the Pi. So, yeah. Last thing to touch on here, if you use NextDNS, they have native tracking block lists for the Roku as well. So if you like the Roku approach or the Apple approach, because it also supports tvOS, there's actually just built-in block lists for those devices to pre- prevent the tracking that's done on those devices. So, yeah, if you have NextDNS, just go into your privacy tab and there's native tracking and you'll see a Roku option down there, which is pretty neat. Okay, our next question comes from David Johnson, who says, what sources and strategies do you guys use or would consider for phone numbers, both permanent and disposable? It looks like currently the choices out there are much more limited compared to, say, email addresses or credit cards or VPN. Google Voice is probably the best known alternative, but some services that require a phone number won't accept a Google Voice number. First of all, yes, we really agree with you. We need more uh, voice over IP and services like that. 
and not more like VPNs and messengers and things like that. So I mostly use my sudo who one of these days when I have the time, I really want to start getting away from them mostly because I just don't agree with a lot of their marketing anymore. There are quite a few options out there. Assuming you live in like a supported country like the U S I mean, there's, um, there's Google voice. Like you mentioned, there's my sudo there's, uh, Oh my God, what are they called? JMP. JMP is a really popular one. I think there's a Hushed is one. There's a few different options out there. If you're on Android, you're just screwed because VoIP does not work well on Android in general at all. That has been both of our experiences, I think. The issue to tackle that last one, like some services require a phone number, that's kind of universal. That's not Google Voice specific. That's my pseudo. That's Hushed. That's all of them. They just block all known VoIP numbers which is really unfortunate. You kind of got to do what you got to do. If if it's a service you absolutely have to use, if it's a service you have to use for work, I would go to them first and be like, hey, this requires a phone number. I'm not comfortable using my personal phone number. How can we get around this? If it's like, like for the new oil, I have a separate phone number for the new, like an actual SIM card phone number for the new oil. So when I run into services like Discord and formerly Twitter who are like, no, you need a real phone number, I use that. I don't like to do it, but at least it's separate from my personal number. Most people can't afford that or don't have that option. So in that case, I would say uh, you kind of got to do what you got to do. You got to ask yourself at that point, like, do I really need the service or should I just skip it altogether? Yeah, this is a messy one just because there's not a clear recommendation. A couple things to throw your way. There's going to be VoIP services. You're going to have random eSIM providers that might be purchased privately, things like Silent Link, but you know, that's an option. Additionally, just to add on to that, aside from the obvious, there's a couple services. One's SMS pool, which is really just for verification. And I think there's a way to be able to keep the number for after verifying. But yeah, SMS pool is one I've heard quite a bit about. I haven't used it myself though, but it's just something I've seen around the web. And then there's Krypton.sh, which is also a physical phone number in the cloud, which they claim is a real phone number, but phone numbers in general, pretty tricky. I would say just most people just have some kind of process behind what you're doing. And that's already better than most people. As long as you don't have one phone number for everything, maybe you have a couple different options at your disposal, then you can always kind of have a little bit of versatility in your workflow. But yeah, it's a tricky thing. So just see what you can find for your own workflow and especially your jurisdiction because different countries have different options. I just wanted to add on to that. Those temporary services I've heard mixed results on them, and personally, I'm not a fan of them because then what if for some reason down the road, you need a phone number to like verify, like you need to contact support for something, and they're like, hey, we texted you a code. Sorry, I don't have the phone number. And I mean, like, it's sure, sometimes you can say that, like, oh, I don't have that phone number anymore. I forgot to change it. But a lot of the time, it just, it could potentially cause problems down the road. Again, not necessarily something everyone can do, but one thing Michael Basil recommends is like, get like a trial for like Mint Mobile or Visible or somebody like that, set up the phone number, use it. And then after a couple months, port it over to Google Voice. It costs like a one-time $5 fee apparently or something like that. And then you have it forever in case you need it later. And at that point, it's already verified. So they're not going to bug you about it later. That's that's what he claims. I've never done that personally, but that could be an option worth considering as well if you only need to do this once in a while. I've done that. It works well. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Next one is from Josie. Uh, another new patron. So welcome aboard to the group, the click. Cool kids. Club. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. The, yeah, of course. So just curious for your guys' opinion. 
on Apple Keychain and more broadly just best practices to have a more private Apple ecosystem? Thanks. Yeah, I think there's two questions there. I'm personally a fan of Keychain. I don't use Keychain, nor do I formally recommend it, because I think there's open source options that are better in a lot of ways. But Keychain itself, it's not like LastPass that I'm going to come forward and say, hey, I have serious issues with LastPass. I think you should avoid it. Keychain was end-to-end encrypted from the first day. There hasn't been too much reason for me to say I don't think Keychain's a decent offering for people. Apple seems to have really valued the security side of things. I don't think that people should be that concerned with Keychain. But there are better options, too. I think, personally. And the cool thing with Apple devices is Apple actually somewhat opened up the password manager situation because any password manager is going to integrate into at least iOS just as Keychain would. So from a convenience perspective, there's actually very little difference if you use Keychain or if you use Bitwarden or KeyPass or anything like that on at least iOS. So just something to consider if you are in Keychain. I don't think it's a bad place to be, but also the alternatives will probably be better. They'll allow you to export and actually move to other services much easier, which is my biggest issue with Keychain. It's harder to move away from it. And yeah, that's what I would say to the first one. Regarding the second question, just best practices on Apple have a strong password. Make sure you have the new uh, data protection that Apple released to have end-to-end encryption on a lot of their services, pretty much everything except uh, email, contacts, and calendar. Aside from that, just make sure you're going through all your settings. Uh, There's a nice app called iVerify if you want to just have an easy checklist of settings to check off. It is a paid app, but it's a one-time payment, and they're just going to give you literally everything to toggle for maximum security on an Apple device. I would also encourage uh, enabling lockdown mode and seeing if it works for you. And aside from those things, I personally use a DNS block list on iOS to block some of Apple's native telemetry that they that they implement on their devices as well. So that's some stuff I do. There's a lot of other little things, but that's something that I would do on an Apple device. I don't know if you have anything to add there. Not really. I think using Apple Keychain is better than not using a password manager, but I'm definitely a fan of some of the more open ones, especially because, you know, we... Um, we're doing a little bit of time traveling here. On uh, Surveillance Report 144, which is coming out soon, we covered a story about how security through obscurity really doesn't work that great. So it's nice to have, even if you don't care for them, like the the open source password managers, or at least source available, where you can verify that like the encryption is solid, the implementation is good. If those are your choices, or like keychain or nothing, then definitely keychain, but I would move to something else a little more reputable if you have that option. As far as the ecosystem, most of the privacy complaints come from iCloud. So I would say disable that if you can avoid it. Try to use something else that's a little bit more privacy respecting. If you just want like general settings and stuff, I know my website has that, the new oil.org. I believe it's under moderately important. Um, We just have a list of like mobile settings that you could look at and consider changing. Otherwise, basically just steer clear of iCloud and that'll take care of the vast majority of it, to be honest. So, Our next question, our, the person who asked this question has asked to remain anonymous, so we're going to redact their name. But they are curious to hear about our comments on mobile forensics tools such as Celebrite or Elcomsoft, which I have not heard of. And they say that it makes the iOS and Android security look like a joke. Had my brain been working at all this week, I have a friend in law enforcement I totally would have texted him and been like, hey, do you have any hands-on experience with this? How good is it? But unfortunately, I don't have his insider opinion. I'm going to venture to say it's probably marketing. I'm certain these tools work, but when you say it makes it look like a joke, like unless you know something I don't, I'm willing to bet that's just marketing hype because that's how these companies work. Again, I'm telling you, 
I've been inside. I know how the system works. Like these companies will come in and they send a sales guy who will come talk to, you know, the general or the police captain or whoever is in charge and like, oh man, my software is going to solve all your problems. My product is going to like cure. It's, it's like Bitcoin people. My product is going to cure cancer, create unicorns end global warming, solve world hunger. Like we're going to solve every problem. And then you get it. And it's like two sticks duct taped together that barely does anything. Like that's just how it goes everywhere, all across the board. That's what marketing is. So I'm certain that Celebrate Celebrate does work, but it probably doesn't just like crack iPhones in like two seconds flat. It probably has to run for several hours at least, if not more. I don't know. Honestly, I don't think about these kind of tools. I just don't worry about them. It's a constant arms race. You know, Celebrate finds a zero day. Eventually, Apple gets alerted to it and they fix it. And same thing for Google. And usually not through Celebrite, usually through like some other, you know, researcher or something. And then that gets fixed. And then Celebrite has to go back to the drawing board and find another zero day. Darknet Diaries has interviewed somebody who spoke at uh, DEF CON. And they said that like that person spoke. And as soon as they got off the stage, there were like five people from foreign governments who gave them a business card and were like, hey, if you have any more other vulnerabilities you haven't disclosed, please let us know. That's how these companies operate. I don't know. It's just a constant cat and mouse. I don't really think about it. They're they're going to find vulnerabilities. They're going to get patched. They're going to find new ones. Those are going to get patched. It's just back and forth. And I just, I try to avoid keeping data on my mobile device in the first place. So that way, if Celebrite ever runs on it, it doesn't matter. That's my strategy. Actually, so I just finally found this. So to add on to what Nate said about Celebrite and Elcomsoft, if you all want like a very deep dive into how these tools work, and I'm talking like screenshots, what they exploit, how they're able to exploit iPhones, what it looks like. Is this the signal thing? No, this is not the signal okay. thing. This is research that was conducted by... Um, Maximilian Zinkis, Tushard Joyce, and Matthew Green. So Matthew Green's probably a name that a lot of people might have heard of. They did a research article in May of 2021 where they pretty much uh, looked through the security model of all these Android devices and iOS devices. So they wanted to explore the security differences between iOS and Android, as well as the improvements that they were suggesting to iOS and Android. And they straight up have like screenshots, they have the tools that are accessible and how they utilize the tools and what the results are and what you can crack and what information you can extract using Celebrate and whatnot. So it's a 118-page research article. So it's not something that you're just going to quickly skim through. And it's extremely thorough, but you will learn a lot about how these tools work and how sophisticated they are, as well as some things that you should and should not be concerned about. What's it called? Um, I'll leave it in the sources, but I'll send you a link. It's just a PDF. Well, I'm just saying, if if you list the title, then people can look for it. So I don't know about that. Let me see. Because it's called Data Security Mobile Devices Current State of the Art Open Problems and Proposed Solutions. So it does come up. Cool. So you can also type that. Okay. Even if you're not curious about the Celebrite stuff, if you're just curious about how security works on mobile devices, you're going to learn a lot going through this. The next one is from Kixies, which is, I live outside the USA, but will be traveling there soon for tourism. I'm really concerned about getting my iPhone seized and searched. I think the chances are slim of this happening, but not outside the realm of possibility. What would you guys do or recommend in this situation? Thanks and keep up the great podcast. On my end, if it were me, I would explore two core options. The first one is you just keep your phone, but I would do some kind of cloud backup. So I would do, and normally I'd avoid the cloud, but this is a situation where I think it's actually much smarter. So I would just do some kind of cloud backup of my phone, and then I would just factory reset my phone so it's a fresh device, 
cross the border and restore the device. That comes with the consequence, though, of you needing to factory reset your main device. The alternative is if you have the funds and the availability to do this, you can just travel with a separate phone that just has a couple contacts in there. Maybe they're not even labeled contacts. So I would just assume, like, whatever device you bring over, just assume it'll be seized and searched. And only give over a device that you don't mind having information on there that you don't mind people seeing, is what I would say to that. It's not a great situation, but those are the two things that I would be exploring if I was in your situation. I have nothing to add to that because I think that's probably about it. Yeah, so uh, that was it for the week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this late Q&A, but we should hopefully be caught up once this is live. If you want to join this Q&A, which we greatly appreciate, we love all your questions, definitely go check us out on patreon.com slash surveillance pod, which is also down in the description, so that you can ask questions not on... SR-144, because we just recorded that, because we're that late. But um, SR-145, your questions will be seen there. And we'll see you in Surveillance Report 144, which should be coming out in a couple days. So we'll see you then.